It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! Uh, welcome to the big show. Thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Um, I'll say hello to the folks in the chat room momentarily. I want to let you know that this episode is exciting because we're going to listen to some songs that made it past our screeners and were sent out for an $8,000 placement. Okay, so is the song good enough for an $8,000 placement? You be the judge. I uh, want to remind you that the Taxi Road Rally is coming up November 7th through the 10th here in beautiful Los Angeles. We are so excited. We are in that last 10 days crunch time, getting ready for the rally. Um, I got to tell you guys, I, I'm just like over the moon excited about this one. Um, the the Jonathan Kane thing, the Lifetime Achievement Award for Jonathan Kane is going to be great. He's a super nice guy, um, very personable, very grounded, very real. And I think the interview with him uh, is going to be great. And I'm really excited about the Saturday night thing I'm doing with Ken Calais, the co-producer of Fleetwood Max Rumors. Um, I spent a big chunk of time here on Sunday working on my questions for that and listening to the songs that we're going to be listening to. It's just, it's going to be an awesome road rally. So I really, really hope that you guys are coming. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet and you are a taxi member, go to taxi.com, look up free convention in the navigation at the top of the page. Go to that page and there's a place where you can um, sign up for the road rally. Uh, a word to the wise, if any of you watching are members that are coming to the road rally and you have not yet signed up for the mentor lunches, which we now call the eat and greet, uh, we've got, I want to say like 25 seats left for those. Um, so better grab those while you can. Uh, that's about it. Let me say a quick hello to our friends and family in the chat room. We have Anne House, Jay Williams. Carlito Padita, Dan Kotaska, Rosanna Angela, Jay Williams, Robbie Hancock, uh, Linda Cullum, Lewis May Music, Eric B, Cass McKenty. Hello, Cass. Um, let's see, Dave Barnett, Alan Gilbert, Carl Wurzbach. Hello, Mrs. Wurzbach. Um, Dave Mensler. So Menser, sorry, Robin Thomas. Anyway, hello, everybody. Glad you could join us for today's show. I'm telling you, Road Rally, gonna be awesome. I know I say this every year, and every year you guys say, wow, you weren't kidding. It actually was better than the last one. This one, definitely better than the last one, and the last one was really, really good. So that's about that. Um, this week's episode sponsored by Rockstar be getting two new pallets of this uh, in about 10 days. Yay, baby. Before I forget, turns out, excuse me, <laughs> that was a rock star burp for you. Um, this little bell thing, there we go. This little bell, click that sucker so you get alerts when we go live. Make sure you like us and subscribe. You know what? We are now officially over 13,000 subscribers on our channel. So pay attention to that, YouTube. We may not have 5 million, but we got 13,000. You're so cool. All right, let's get down to business. 
So we ran a listing. Um, this was due on September 23rd. Uh, it was listing number Y190923SH. Um, we had 667 submissions. We had 16 forwards. Um, some of the forwards weren't public, so we couldn't play them on today's show. Um, and the listing read as such. Melancholy singer-songwriter ballads with male, female, or duet vocals are needed for an up to $8,000 non-exclusive direct-to-music supervisor placement in a feature film. The music supervisor is looking for, down to, for a down-to-mid-tempo song that could work as a replacement for Shallow, which is currently tempted into the film. They're not looking for clones or sound-alikes. Similar tempo, style, and overall vibe? Yes. Clones? No. Ooh, I can hear one of the helicopters going by. That's a fire helicopter. By the way, thank you uh, for all you folks who've tweeted and sent emails and texted me and that sort of stuff. Um, we've not been in any direct danger. The fires are relatively close, but not that close. So, so far, so good. Uh, I got to say, after last year's fires, every time it gets windy, we all get really paranoid, though, because it came really close last year. So thank you for the kind words and good thoughts. Uh, quoting the music supervisor, we need a dark, teary-eyed, remember this, dark, teary-eyed, emotionally strong ballad, contemporary pop, AC, or singer-songwriter, the genres, I'm sure if it was something outside of those genres, but it still had the right feel and right vibe, it would be fine, needs to be stripped down with a somewhat haunting vocal. We note the scene is sad and depressing, and we would need a song as such. Uh, I didn't write that. Your job is to create a song and lyric. Uh, that underscores the emotions of a single mom who's dealing with substance abuse and is contemplating suicide. Wow, there's a cheery thought. Uh, don't try to write the film's story. Uh, your goal is to submit songs with similar feel, tempo, and sonic <laughs> texture. Tenture, that's a new word. Texture that can help elevate the scene's emotion with a broad general statement. Uh, thoughts be applicable for this character in this predicament. A simple acoustic guitar-based approach with minimal or no accompaniment is probably the right way to go for this. Lyric tip. Sad, introspective, and thoughtful lyrics will work best. Just make sure they're not too specific. Uh, yeah, like songs about, like, I think I'm going to kill myself probably wouldn't work. Avoid references to specific names, dates, times, brands, places, and profanity. I just inserted a word or two there, but that's cool. Uh, they want to hear lyrics that deliver a heartfelt, melancholic feeling, but without telling a story. Do not copy the reference artist or song in any way, shape, or form. Bad, bad, bad. Use only as a guide for tempo, texture, and tone. Broadcast quality is needed. Um, the estimated license fee for this is up to $8,000, depending on the ultimate placement. Blah, blah, blah. The rest is all boilerplate. So I would say that the big points are down to mid-tempo, um, dark, teary-eyed, emotionally strong ballad, um, sad and depressing, underscores emotions of a single mom who's thinking about killing herself, don't try to write the film's story, uh, similar tempo feel and sonic texture, they can help elevate the scene's emotion with broad general statements, thoughts, blah, 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 sad, introspective, thoughtful lyrics work best. Um, okay. So, first thing on the list, 
Um, we're not going to give out the uh, the writers' names or the performers' names in this episode. Uh, we traditionally don't do that in case people in the chat room have criticisms. We don't want to out them. Sometimes they decide to out themselves. Um, anyway, uh, we appreciate the fact that they submitted and got forwarded. So the first one we're going to listen to is called Another Round. Don't take much to bring me down Just a hint, a seed of doubt Trying to find the best of me But I'm nowhere to be found And I don't know if what's left of me Go another round Close my eyes to pray Turns out there's not much to say All this time I don't know how Haven't got it figured out I'm still trying to find the best of me Nowhere to be found And I don't know If what's left of me And go another round Okay, so we're not voting today because all of these are forwards. And I'm curious, somebody pointed out in the chat room, it was screener number 309, who is, um, let's call him picky. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say any more. I don't want to give you his background because you might figure out who he is. But he's had a very, very credible background in the industry and uh, comes from the record side of things in about three years ago, uh, mostly migrated over to the film and TV side of things because uh, that's where most of his cronies from the record labels and publishing companies all went. So he's got a lot of incredibly good access to those folks who've made that transition. Um, that song was depressing. <laughs> and I mean that in such a good way. It, was, it seemed appropriately uh, depressing. Um, I kept thinking as I was listening to it that, uh, you know, it was trying to be hopeful, but if I were the woman who's the character in the film thinking about killing myself, 
I'd listen to that song go, now I'm really depressed. I think I'm going to go through with it. Anyway, I don't mean to be insensitive. I'm just talking from a musical perspective. <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought it was good. It was very raw. Um, I'm curious. Uh, let's hear some comments from you guys. Linda Collins says she's had at least one return from 309. Yep. Um, I'm surprised. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I'm surprised you haven't had more. I didn't mean you personally. It's just, he's famous for being ultra picky. Um, chorus were great. Uh, didn't that sound sad enough to me? Wow. I thought it sounded pretty sad. But, you know, to each his own. Uh, I submitted this. So I'm excited to hear we got forwarded. Shaley says, only screener I can't get past. Uh, yeah, we actually had some uh, issues about 309, people complaining a lot about 309 about a year and a half ago. And we actually flew, um, who did I, uh, oh, Matt Vanderbo. I flew Matt Vanderbo in from Boise. And he and Chuck Henry, who's local here in LA, um, came over and met with 309. Um, and at the end of the evening, they said, yeah, you should keep him as a screener. They told me that they thought that he was not a good screener, not well qualified, that we should get rid of him, I would have. But at the end of the day, when they uh, saw his, not only his qualifications, but um, heard how knowledgeable he was about music and kind of got a vibe on his taste and where his quality bar is, they said, yep, keep him. So I did. Um, Yep, sad and made a mistake and wish I could take it all back song. Really good description. Um, Rosanna Angela says, did not make me want to kill myself. Well, I think the mom, I think the description said that she's on the edge. I don't think she actually goes through with it. Because um, she's dealing with substance abuse and is contemplating suicide. Uh, scary that she's even contemplating. Hope she didn't go through with it in the film. Um, don't try to write the film story. Okay, and I also thought that one um, kind of accomplished the goal of saying the thoughts and, but without telling a story in detail. It could work within the context of a script that already exists, so pretty good. All right, uh, I remember people used to say if you were contemplating suicide, put on the Janice Ian album from late 60s and push you right over the edge. <laughs> Cruel, Sherry. Very cruel. Suicide is not a laughing matter as I sit here chuckling at what you just said. Um, Mojo Bone says, my rugby shirt's looking really good in 4K. This is my comfy, yes, I worked all weekend on the road rally and didn't feel like, I almost didn't shave for today's show, but I think I've only done one show in 10 years where I wasn't clean shaven, so I decided to stick with the theme. All right, next one up is called Let Me Go. Let's have a listen. Your secrets aren't safe inside my mind. Your secrets aren't safe inside my mind. Those bones you buried deep secrets are unsafe inside my mind look at that comment by bone hoof and write it down please please 
Okay, so first I want to address, uh, what was it that I had you write down? Uh, it was a question. I know, but can you tell me what it Yeah, it said, uh, from a production standpoint, is that referring to the first song generally up to par for a movie placement? Gotcha. So, uh, Bonehoof? Was yes, Bonehoof. Yeah. Bonehoof asked, uh, was that first song that we listened to up to stuff production-wise, is that kind of typical of what production is acceptable for movie movie placement? Um, this listing isn't really asking for that. Um, more than anything, they're looking for something that conveys the emotion and makes the scene more impactful. Sometimes in a situation like this, it could be super raw, super lo-fi, um, and have no, nothing slick about it whatsoever. Or it could be something like this song that we just heard that's a completely different uh, production approach. Doesn't sound anything like the reference. But I think most of you who were commenting thought that the song was really uh, awesome and very vibey and very moody and that it could work. So it's so hard to explain why sometimes as a screener or an A&R person in general or somebody looking for stuff more important, more specifically, film and television, if you have a replacement song and you're looking for, no, if you have something tempt in and you're looking for a replacement, they know that that temp works. 
But if you find something else that's super awesome in in the regard that it could convey that emotion, enhance the emotion, amplify the emotion is probably the operative word. Um, a really good screener uh, would forward that because they would go, you know what, I can absolutely see this working in the context of that kind of scene, even though um, it doesn't sound like the uh, the reference. And also know that they don't want stuff that sounds super close to the reference because you know, it's been done. I mean, I'm talking, um, that's the word I'm looking for. You don't want it to sound like you absolutely ripped it off um, because even though that's what they think they want, when they hear it, they'll say that's too close sometimes. But more importantly, the single most important thing you need to remember is does this song amplify the emotion of a drugged out mom who's thinking about killing herself? Um, obviously, that's not going to be a disco song. It's not going to be a metal song. There are a lot of things it's not going to be, and there are probably several that it could be. So I think that we're going to see some of that today. Um, any other any other comments from you guys? It should be authentic. Absolutely, that was a cool track. Really liked the production, sound design. If they were considering shallow, this song would not fit. First song was more in line. That's true. So, you know, the screener's probably thinking, well, that sounds like shallow, you know, so I'm going to forward it. Oh, this one doesn't sound like shallow, but it certainly amplifies the emotion. And they, you know what? All of us, not that I screen anymore, but I used to a lot. And you have to ask yourself when you forward something, are they going to appreciate the fact that I forwarded this and go, hmm, not exactly what I was looking for, but this is an interesting song. You know, this could work. I can see why they sent it. If, if you can get them to have that little conversation in their head, then you've forwarded something that has value to them. Um, what we try to avoid around here is forwarding stuff that makes them go, what the hell were they thinking at Taxi? So that's the fine line that we walk, and it's really hard. Um, Robert Thomas Main says, Shallow is tempting. Music supervisor asked for a different song. Shallow is up. He asked for down. Yeah. You know what? How can I say this in the nicest, most professional way? Many, many, many times I have personally seen examples of music supervisors that have conflicting information in their briefs. Um, I've seen listings come through here that were for TV commercials. And I know what the commercial is, which obviously we can't share with you guys. And then I see the commercial on the air, you know, a month later and go, well, that wasn't what they asked for. There are a million ways things can change. And oftentimes it's not the music supervisor who decides what kind of song it is or which song that they're gonna temp in. There, you know, a lot of times it could be the executive producer of a TV show, it could be the director of a film. Uh, it could be the director of a film has a teenage son or daughter that likes a particular band, a particular song. And that executive has heard the song around the house a lot or in the car with their kid or the kid brought it up at the dinner table and they listen to it go, yeah, yeah, that could work. And then they tell the music supervisor, yeah, get me something like that. And then when they actually uh, put it in there, they go, mm, no, it's a cool song, but it doesn't really amplify the emotion of the scene. So they end up taking it out. So there are a million ways things can go wrong, and there are really only a couple ways they can go right. Otherwise, everybody would get stuff placed all the time, and we would all be super rich, right? All right, uh, next one is called 
blame. Mikey likes that one. Uh, you guys did too. I could see it in the chat room. Tons of comments coming through. Um, you know, 
it's a great example of so much going right and you can see why the screener forwarded it and people are saying wow if it didn't get used for this film it should get used somewhere i agree with every single comment i saw about that did anybody hear a bridge i don't think there was a bridge in there so the a and r person in me that was me Sorry. oh uh, the a and r person in me um and and the uh retired producer in me uh felt like the song felt a little repetitious because it didn't have a bridge to break it up now it's kind of a visceral thing i you know i don't sit here with a scorecard going well it didn't have a bridge let's not use it in the movie but it could be that the music supervisor or the director or the producers or whomever you know i don't know if this one's going to be done by committee or done by you know who makes the final call probably the director the music supervisor finds the stuff makes sure it's licensable cuts the deals when it's time to cut a deal and oftentimes the director on the film is the one that goes yep that completes my vision or enhances the vision so uh you know maybe something is seemingly minor because it's so good in every other regard but obviously uh well i can't say obviously chances are the whole song won't be used because the whole scene may not be long enough to contain a whole song. So that may be a good thing because there wouldn't be a need to have a bridge to break it up and create some variation. But if the scene does go on for a while, um, I, I would want a bridge. As the editor on that, as the music soup, as the director, a bridge gives you a lot more possibilities to go with and this didn't have it. So that could hurt it. But again, I don't. whoever uh, wrote this, I don't want you to be depressed because we all loved it. It's a really good piece of work. The delivery on the vocal was really, really good. The pacing of it was good. The mood was good. Everything about it was awesome. So congratulations for getting that right. I'm gonna put a piece of paper towel underneath my laptop stand because I can see a little jiggling going on here. And it's not good jiggling. Bad jiggling. Bad, I tell you. Someone made note, um, they asked is, if there's a discrepancy between the listing description and the reference tracks, should you lean more on the reference It's a great question. Somebody wants to know, and Bria just read this question to me, I'm not sure if you guys could hear it. So question is, if there's a discrepancy between the reference and what the listing's description is, um, which one should you go with? That's a tough call. And believe me, we do so much work behind the scenes to try and get those things to line up. I mean, there are times that we have to call back the listing party and say, your references are nothing like what you asked us for. And we have to be really delicate in the way we say that. We can't call up and go, you're a stupid idiot and don't know anything about music. So we're going to tell you how wrong you are and try and get this right for you. Um, because they'll never run another listing with us. So it puts us in a, a tenuous position, but we're looking out for you guys. So we would call them up and say something like, uh, some of the folks in the office, you know, as we we're prepping this listing, felt that the, the references didn't do justice to, um, uh, to what you're asking for. So we've come up with a couple other references. Can you have a quick listen and see if you agree with those or not? And that usually makes them happy. And, and oftentimes they'll say something like, oh, wow, so glad you guys caught that. So there you go. Uh, I saw somebody, I think Polly said earlier, you know, it's a fluid situation. It, it is. It's so not black and white. It's 50 shades of gray.
I can't believe I said that. Um, but it really is. It's not black and white. Uh, and I know that it's so frustrating for those of you who don't live in this world. You're not like, you know, inundated with this stuff and surrounded by the industry um, and, you know, just live it and breathe it like we do. We get to know the nuances and we can kind of, you know, navigate through the nuances. And so that's why we work really hard to make the listings navigate the nuances for you guys, you know. Um, You'd be in shock if you saw the emails we got and then compared those to the listings that we put out. Um, I don't know any more humble way to say this other than we would be getting a lot of pats on the back from people because we really, really do work hard. The listings go through several people before your eyes ever see them. And uh, it's, you know, it's 50 shades of gray and we have to determine for you. Our goal is to help you hit their nail on the head. So we go to every possible extreme that we can to make that happen. More often than not, it works. Sometimes it doesn't, and we feel bad about that, but I can guarantee you with great certainty that we give you much better descriptions uh, than the entire rest of the industry. And I know this because oftentimes when, we're, when we first start a relationship with a, a new music supervisor, a new music library, whomever, um, Oftentimes, we'll send them the first listing that we put out for them and say, so, you know, do, does this do what it needs to do? And they go, wow, I should have you guys write up all my briefs. You guys say it so much better than I do. We hear that all the time. So rest assured, we've got your back. We're looking out for you. And uh, we do our best to make uh, 50 Shades of Grey look more like three shades of grey. All of a sudden, I'm looking around my room going, do I have a whip? <laughs> A paddle, anything. No, I don't. Not into that. Um, greetings all. Just woke up late. 7.30 a.m. Well, hello, Pierre. Good morning. Um, Linda Colm says, if you ever need a bridge, go to the dentist. <laughs> bada boom. Do I have a bada boom? Nope. Not on there. Um, okay, next one is called Another Day. Shouting to myself, why can't I breathe? 
Interesting. That one had lyrics that were appropriate for the sentiment, but the song, uh, personally, I felt that the track was just a little too uplifting. Um, It almost felt like Brand New Day, um, which, oddly enough, it's called Another Day. Um, So it, it was kind of, there was a dichotomy there. It was like two songs rolled into one, which sometimes actually can work, especially when you're talking like, um depressing turns into happy slow turns into fast um a dichotomous song can work if the editor wants it to and recognizes the dichotomy and goes okay so i have a song here that starts out depressing but then starts to become hopeful and then it almost breathes a sigh of relief and a good editor or a good music supervisor or a good director or a good executive producer might actually, if they listen to the whole song, which generally they don't, unless they're really seriously interested, but if they do, they could go, wow, I can see how this literally takes you from where the emotion starts to where the emotion ends up. Uh, One of the greatest examples I ever saw of that, I was actually so moved by the craft of the music supervisor that I called her at home and left a voicemail for. Um, Music supervisor named Frankie Pine, uh, a woman named Frankie Pine, who worked on the newsroom, which I thought was a great TV show. And there was an episode, it was either the last episode or the second to the last in the entire series. And there was one song that they edited long. It ran for about five and a half minutes, but they made it work over Three, emo- three sets of emotions um, following three different characters in probably 15 or 20 edits over a five and a half minute period. And at any point in time, if you listen to where that song was at and what was being said in the dialogue and the expressions on the actors' faces, everything. I mean, it was so beautifully put together and orchestrated that I just sat there with my jaw hanging down going, okay, right there, that's state of the art. So I left a voicemail for Frankie Pine just saying, man, oh man, I wish uh, that they were giving out Emmys. I think they are now, but at the time they weren't giving out Emmys for music supervision, but that was Emmy quality work, just as good as it gets. Um, Earlier, I noticed somebody mentioned that Screener 309 forwards a lot more males than females. Um, There's a reason for that the number of males that submit to listing versus the number of females is inordinately greater, higher, bigger, fatter, many more, 
a lot of dudes submit, very few females. Um, our members are probably 35% female, 65% male. Do you know like magazines like Mix Magazine, Recording Magazine, you know, all the audio techie magazines usually have female subscribership of about five or 6% and the rest are males. So yeah, you may see a lot more females being forwarded or a lot more males, I mean, being forwarded by Screener 309, but it's not that he's some sexist pig. Um, it, it's just, that's what he's got to work with. Um, okay my only notes so far on that now let's move on to the next one which is called choose your own adventure we all just need a little time in the day to forget about life for moment of peace to loosen up those chains even waves need to break choose your own adventure find your way the world can wait one more it's not too late Everybody needs to take it slow Walking on the tightrope No matter where you run no matter where you go You can always come back home Choose your own adventure And find your way The world can wait One more day Choose your own adventure Okay, so I saw several people saying, wow, I can't believe uh, the screener forwarded that. Uh, it's so not right. 
uh, and a few other people going, I could see that working. And so I was sitting here writing down my little analysis um, and want to comment on this stuff. First of all, uh, it was reflected. Yes, uh, musically, it felt like it wanted to be happier um, or like it was happy. Um, it was reflective, it was introspective. But the, the overarching theme was the hook of the chorus, which is choose your own adventure. Um, it talks about, you know, it's not too late, walking on a tightrope. So it had a lot of stuff lyrically and thematically that would be really good for the scene. So it kind of, you know, it's difficult for us or the screener. We don't get the video in most cases. Uh, and the screener is sitting there shooting in the dark with the description that they got from the music soup. So um, you could imagine as the screener, uh, gee, you know, maybe this person's thinking about suicide, but they're also contemplating, you know, what can I do to turn this around? The, the hopeful aspect of it, you know? Um, so I see why the screener forwarded this. It doesn't fit the depressing, sad and depressing part on a musical level. Lyrically, it's got stuff in there that could work. And I don't think a music supervisor, unless they were not a very good supervisor, but excellent supervisors would understand why the screener forwarded this one. So I'm not giving any, uh, any points off for 309. I think he went out on a little bit of a limb, but it was a safe limb. It, it was thick enough that it ain't gonna crack. All right, next up we have number six, which is called The Fall. Hello is turning 
gotta say, who was it that said this? Rosanna Angela said, this sounds romantic, and I know why. You know why? Because it's a waltz. Think about it. That was a waltz. And waltzes trigger something in us because waltzes are almost, you think of a man and a woman, you know, and there's something romantic about it. And uh, so that was your uh, Pavlovian response to music for the day right there. Um, this was depressing lyrically. It was slow. It had a lot of elements, but it was, it, it didn't evoke a lot emotionally for me personally. It could be a different reaction for other people. It could be a different reaction that the music soup has. Maybe the music soup won't like it, but think, hey, you know, the director should hear it, plays it for the director, and the director goes, this is exactly what I'm looking for. There are no absolutes. Remember, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay. Uh, moving on to number seven. This one is called, I Don't Know Much About Jesus. I don't know much about praying. Praying. But sometimes I talk to God. He listens without saying. I know nobody in the chat room is going to agree with me on this. I would have forwarded that too. And believe it or not, I don't know if you guys could hear it through my microphone, but there's a big fat 60 hertz hum coming off the guitar pickup there or their audio gear or something. I mean, it's like, here's why I would have forwarded that juxtaposition. Um, that song, uh, Quentin Tarantino would have loved that song in a scene. A um, couple other directors, I can't think of their names. I can see their films in my head. Uh, oh gosh. Oh, oh well, I'm bad with names. But uh, sometimes, you know, what you think is what you're looking for. <laughs> and then you hear something that's bizarre, which I think Shaylee said, this is truly bizarre. Uh, right, somebody's saying, Robbie Hancock's saying, it, it's authentic. You know what? 
the rawness, the authenticity of this is off the charts. I mean, this is this reminds me of one of the earliest songs I ever heard through Taxi. Um, it was three pretty obviously uh, African-American women sitting around what sounded like a, a Formica kitchen table. Um, the only thing the cassette said, was, and it wasn't submitted for a taxi listing, it just showed up in the mail to the taxi office with my name on it. Uh, but no other information, it just said Mrs. Robinson and the name of the song was Girlfriend. I can't believe I remember that 27 years later. It was astonishingly good, and it was this raw, and it was just three women keeping a beat on this table and singing a song that was kind of rapish, um, definitely R&B-ish, soul-ish, um, no instrumentation, just a cappella with hands on the table, and it was equally as raw as this, and it was so, so good. And I played it for the guy, um, who is now the chairman of the board of Atlantic Records. I played it for him when he was just a measly uh, senior vice president. And he said, find those women. I would sign them. And I could never find them. Uh, all they put was Mrs. Robinson, girlfriend. That's all it said on the cassette. There wasn't a return address on the, the packaging. There was no phone number. There was no email address. There was nothing. So there you go. That was a record deal missed. Uh, but it had the, this thing about it, you know, just the rawness, the authenticity, the simplicity. Um, it was beautiful. It was incredible. Okay, next one up is called Song of My Life.
I got to say, I agree with all you guys and disagree with 309. It's a really good song, but I wouldn't afford it. It's just hopeful and not depressing, not sad, not like I'm going to kill myself song. You know, no, this is uh, I'm so glad I didn't kill myself yesterday, but it's not I might kill myself in five minutes. Okay, so let's be honest. So screener 309, you're fired. Just kidding. Um, I wanted to address something. Oh, going back to the song about Mrs. Robinson and the song Girlfriend. So the guy's name who's uh, chairman of Atlantic Records is Craig Kalman. He was the first person ever to run a listing with Taxi. And um, this guy was so dedicated to breaking new artists that he had an indie dance label that eventually got distributed by Atlantic. And I remember going to New York one time. We'd spoken on the phone. I think maybe we'd traded emails back in the day. Um, we'd sent him some music. But he and I'd never met face to face. So I was going to New York on other business. I said, do you want to get together for coffee or drink or dinner or something? And he said, the only day that I could possibly do it would be Saturday. Um, but you're going to have to go with me while I visit some record stores. I went, okay, no biggie. So I met him. I remember, I think we met in front of the Warwick Hotel on 54th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. And I go outside, have the revolving door. He's pushing a shopping cart filled with CDs. So this is a guy that's vice president of Atlantic Records, and he would literally go to the record stores pushing these CDs, and then go to clubs and give them to DJs. So that's how you end up being chairman of the board of Atlantic Records, is you're willing to work that hard on a Saturday as vice president of the company. So he certainly earned my respect that day. And um, I don't know, you know, we keep loosely in touch. Every two or three years, he'd run another listing or I'd reach out to him. So one day I'm at LAX, uh, the airport, and I'm getting ready to fly to New York. And I'm going through security, and uh, the guy in front of me or behind me, he was in front of me, was wearing a T-shirt, and I was looking at the back of the T-shirt, and it was something I recognized that, you know, like only an industry insider would get, somebody that worked at a label or what have you. Um, and I tapped him on the shoulder to say, hey, do you work at whatever company? And turned around, it was Craig Kalman. And he went, whoa, Lasco, whoa, Kalman. And we were both kind of tickled and surprised to see each other. And uh, we're chit-chatting away for, you know, all of 30 seconds to a minute. And then he goes through the golden arches and I go through the golden arches. I get to the other side and he's going, do you see my laptop? No. His laptop got jacked in the 30 seconds or so that we were just, hey man, how you doing? Catching up with each other. His laptop got jacked. So from that day forward, and that was probably 10 or 15 years ago, now, whenever my stuff goes through, I do not take my eyes off my laptop. I don't care, you know, if they make me stand in a little thing with my hands over my head. I don't care if they blow smoke up my butt looking for explosives. I do not take my eyes off my laptop. So just passing that along for your own edification, that stuff can disappear at the Golden Arches. And imagine this, by that time, I think he was chairman of the board of Atlantic or maybe co-chair. And so imagine the kind of stuff that was on that laptop. Ouch. Oddly enough, I mean, uh, 
fortuitously, I guess, um, I'd gotten an upgrade to first class that day because I've logged like over a million miles on United. So I get free upgrades and I was sitting next to him for the whole flight. And he said, why don't you come over tomorrow morning for breakfast? So uh, I did. Uh, and I go to his apartment and I knock on the door and he opens up the door. I can't remember, it's a famous author, guy with really frizzy, weird hair. He's kind of like a, a pop marketing guy. I can't remember his name. Um, one of the earliest people to do TED Talks. Oh, somebody help me with his name. Um, anyway, he was leaving uh, Calvin's apartment because he'd been there interviewing him for his next book that he was writing. Um, can't think of his name. Anyway, so Calman invited me over to his house for breakfast. I go in, he and his family were moving. The movers were there, wrapping his furniture and blankets, packing boxes of stuff. And he said, come on, let, let's go. And it's like, go where? Dude, you are moving. <laughs> he left his wife and kids and the movers there. Come on, let's go have coffee. It's like, wow, this is a guy who never, ever stops working. He deserves to be chairman of the board. Malcolm Gladwell, thank you. Yes, Malcolm. so the door opens up for me to go in, and Malcolm Gladwell's going the other way. So I got to see Malcolm Gladwell's awesome hair and shake his hand for a split second. So there you go. Mal, if you're watching, I'm thinking about you, dude. Okay. Um, all right, we are moving on. Next one is called Lost Along the Way. Let's have a listen. We haven't listened oh. to A Place to Stay. Oh, my producer says we haven't listened to A Place to Stay, even though I checked it off my list. So let's listen to that, please. Life as you know May tumble someday And never be the same What's on your mind That makes you fade away Feeling so sad And I can say so many So many lovely things you're so far away I want to hear your thoughts. I'll start typing them in the chat room, but 
I'm conflicted on that one. I mean, it was a really good song. It was well executed, nice recording. I really liked the guy's voice. It didn't pull me in emotionally, although there were a lot of uh, emotional lyrics in there. Something about the overall packaging, the way it all went together, um, it didn't draw me in, uh, as my uh, now deceased friend Ralph Murphy used to say, you have to invite the listener in. This didn't really invite me in. I didn't really care so much about this singer's situation or whatever he was singing about. Um, whereas some of the other songs, instantly I felt like I was getting pulled into the song. Did you guys feel any of that? Good song, good production, not really sad. Stephen K. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Um, really well done, but it sounded like it wasn't authentic. Agreed, similar feeling. That uh, wasn't depressed, a little dated. But it was forwarded. Yeah, it was forwarded. I mean, it, it was quality and it was topically on the money but it it didn't cross over that bar of this is special. It was good. And, and trust me, we hear, it, it's really tough to do the screening work here because you hear a lot of stuff that's good, that's like solid, it's B plus, it's A minus, it might even be A. Um, but you know, as my friend uh, Marshall Altman used to always say, uh, the floor is bad, this is good, the sun is great. And um, everybody's always looking for the sun, and it's really hard to find the sun. Uh, Bruce Illis says it's very subjective. It is subjective, but you know what? It's a different kind of subjectivity. Uh, when you do it for a living and you do it professionally and you do it re repeat repeatedly, um, the subjectivity really isn't so much about what your personal taste is. It's you apply subjectivity to the task at hand, what's in front of you, what are you charged with doing? So yeah, there, there's a certain amount of subjectivity, but hopefully um, that's the difference. Everybody thinks they know a hit when they hear one. Industry people um, are trained in, in, in a way and they hear so much stuff. And I can't say by any stretch of the imagination that they're right 100% of the time. They may only be right, I don't know, 30% or 50% of the time. But I guess if you look at like uh, batting averages, that's way better uh, than actual baseball. So, you know, if 70% of the stuff you sign is a flop, but the 30% you sign is a hit, and it makes millions of dollars, it pays for the flops and then some, and that's what makes the music business go around. I gotta tell you guys, I, I, I literally am over the moon about what we're gonna do Saturday night at the Road Rally with Ken Calais. Um, when I was working yesterday and I was working up uh, comments and questions about songs, he sent me seven that he wanted to cover from the Rumors album, and I slipped two additional ones in from Tusk. And I mean, I was a huge fan of that record. And, you know, I was very, very, very fortunate to be um, working in one of the top studios anywhere on the planet Earth at the time that that record was made. So I, I ran in those circles. There was a brotherhood of engineers and producers worldwide. We all kind of knew who the other ones were. 
we all traded ideas. We didn't have the internet to do it. We didn't have gear slots. We didn't have the taxi forum. Um, we would just read interviews with each other in recording engineer producer, modern recording, or uh, you know, we would meet in uh, artist lounges or kitchens at the studios, outside in parking lots. You know, after being up all night working on a record, uh, a lot of times uh, engineers, producers, and bands tend to go out and watch the sunrise just to celebrate the fact that we're still at the studio working, and. Uh, a lot of information got passed around, you know, where one engineer would say to another one, how did you get the snare sound on this song? Or, you know, how did you, what kind of direct box did you use on the bass on that? Or I love the way uh, the hi-hat and the acoustic guitar played off of each other on opposite sides. And this song, just all that kind of stuff. And um, I've always wanted to ask Ken Collet about so much stuff on the Rumors record because it was, it won record of the year in, I think, 77 or 78 and everybody all of us uh, in, in that brotherhood of engineers and producers that was the album that we all talked about we all listened to uh, over and over I, I would literally go home from a 12-hour session and, and get in a prone position on the floor of my home and get a pair of JBL 4311s like I had in the studio and listen to that record just cranked up just enamored with so many aspects of it so I was sitting here yesterday working a pretty long day and not that thrilled to be working yet another Sunday, but hey, the rally's coming, got to do it. So at some point I just decided to crank up my NS10s to about 11 because um, there was nobody else in the office building for it. I could do that. And I just sat here just listening to this stuff going, oh my gosh, they're just, it's about as close to perfect as you can get. But even though they perfected it, and reading, oh, I don't have his book with me right now, but reading Ken Calais' book, uh, Making Rumors, which you should get and read before you come to the rally, um, Making Rumors by Ken Calais, C-A-I-L-L-A-T. Um, I, I was sitting here listening to it, and, and I kept going back to the same thought, which I'm clearly going to talk to him about on stage, which is they perfected everything on that record it's like every little thing has a reason to be where it is and why it's done the way it is it's brilliant it's genius it's some of the best production i've ever heard on any record in the history of popular music that i've listened to and yet they didn't suck the life out of it that to me is maybe the greatest feat and the greatest um indicator of how good uh, ken calais and his partner in the production of it a guy named richard dashett that those guys, uh, they talk about in the book, uh, and I actually just finished reading the sequel called Getting Tusked, which won't be out until after the rally. But um, the band would come in and, and lay down, you know, somebody would come in with a cassette of a song idea, and then the whole band would go out into the room and they would work up their parts and they would cut it, and then they would maybe put a scratch vocal on it, and then they would put it away, not by intent, it just happened that way, they would put it away for a while, and then they would come back three months later and go, okay, let's fix bass parts today. And they would fix the bass part in that song and go, you know, now that the bass is doing this, maybe the drums would be better if we did that. And then they would go rework the drums. And then the song would get put on the shelf again for maybe another month or two months or six months, sometimes as much as like six or nine months. And they just kept going back and changing and fixing and changing and fixing. And from having logged thousands of hours in the studio myself, I'm like sitting there thinking, this is the certain kiss of death. I would much rather capture a live performance of a full band in the studio 
than than nitpick something to death. But they were kind of fighting this internal battle with Lindsey Buckingham being insane and brilliant at the same time and, and gaining more and more of a, a toehold as to like controlling the band. And the band was co-producing with uh, Ken and Richard. Um, so they had to fight this battle, um, sometimes in a healthy way, sometimes in a not very healthy way. And that caused a lot of songs to get redone. But then when you listen to this album, like I did yesterday, good and loud, my ears are still ringing. Um, it's flabbergasting how good that record is. So if you're at the rally this year, absolutely make sure you join me Saturday night. Please don't be late. Don't show up at like 545. Don't show up at six o'clock. Please come in the ballroom, sit toward the front. We're going to turn it up fairly loud. Um, we're going to try and have Ken and I on face booms so that we can talk over it if need be while it's playing to point, you know, check out this hi-hat part that's coming or check out Lindsay's guitar solo, whatever. Just trust me when I tell you that you're going to walk out of that room. I absolutely guarantee you're going to walk out of that ballroom and you're going to want to keep walking through the hotel lobby get into a cab, go to the airport, fly home, and go make love to your studio because it's just that good. So please join me for this. It's going to be one of the high points of all the rallies we've ever done. So be there. All right. Uh, next one is called Lost Along the Way. Yes, we're, one of the songs we're going to do is The Chain.
All right, I want some feedback from you folks. Uh, while you're typing it in, I will say, uh, I saw Jay Williams uh, tell somebody that most of the time it's the music supervisor that determines what gets in a film or a TV show. Not really true that often. Honestly, music supervisor's job is often to present the options and then do the work of getting the licenses cleared and making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. But it's... In, in films, it's probably the director uh, more often than not that makes the final decision. In television, could be the executive producer. In, in some cases, a TV show that's been on for years and years and the music supervisor and the executive producer have a relationship to the point where the supervisor gets it right so often that the EP may say to the supervisor, go ahead, you pick them. Um, but it, it's... The supervisor's job is really more about presenting options and taking care of getting the deals done than it is making the final decision. So I just wanted to be clear on that. Not Nothing is 100%, but that's most often the case, I would say. Um, let's see, you guys, uh, I feel for the screener. Uh, I'd go for popcorn at this point. Uh, by the way, if you like Judy Garland, the Judy Garland movie that's out there right now, really depressing. Um, the movie's over and the lights come up. My wife hears, Debbie Dell, Debbie Dell. She looks to her left. Rob Chiarelli and his wife were sitting directly across the aisle from us. Our, our best friend sitting four feet away. We were all laughing that we didn't invite the other couple to go to a movie. We'd just been in the same theater together a week before on Saturday night. Uh, so we went up for coffee. <laughs> um, the, I feel like the mix is kind of a mess. Uh, vibe galore, yes, vibe galore. Lyrics, I couldn't understand the lyrics. I saw you guys talking about that. Um, <laughs> Cass McKenty makes a great observation. Prop makers, whoops, <laughs> I just lost it. Prop makers don't decide what the camera looks at. Think about that. Prop makers don't decide what the camera looks at. Very good, Cass. Um, Vocalist drowning in reverb, uh, character drowning in sorrow. Uh, they're not the the music supervisor really isn't the gatekeeper. I mean, yes, they present possibilities, so I guess you could look at it as, you know, you may be kept out of the gate of possibilities, I guess. But they're not really like A and R guys of yesterday were. Uh, and Curtis Griffin says, music supervisors can hear through poor recordings. An A&R person, a producer, um, somebody that's looking to find a song to put on their record might be able to hear through a poor recording. A music supervisor, um, there are there are 50 shades of gray, no black and white, but gotta remember, there are some times where something that's super low fly, <laughs> low fly, super low fly, my TV is 400K. It's super low fly. Anyway, it's not about the recording sometimes. Sometimes the rawness and the lack of being slick work in your favor. Other times you want stuff to broadcast quality typically means, is this good enough to broadcast? Well, that depends on context. And context has everything to do with all this, going back to professional subjectivity. So no black and white. Um, uh, let's see, DW says, I'm not a producer, but gee, 8K for this placement uh, would have to be greatly produced song to me. Um, see, it, it's not, you don't, they're not paying for the production quality. 
they're paying for, does it amplify the emotion in the scene? Does it help tell the story? Does it help suck the viewers into the story and make them feel what the protagonist on screen is feeling? That's what they'll spend 8K for. It's not about the song. I wish I could, if there was one thing, well, I've got a long list actually, but if there was one thing that's pretty close to the top of my list of things that I wish that I could get all musicians to understand is that in the context of film and television, when people say, I sent in such a great song and they didn't take it. It's not about how great the song is. The crappiest song in the world from a, maybe even from a songwriting perspective, certainly from an engineering and possibly a production perspective, could suck. But it's just got this thing that, again, I'm gonna keep beating this into your head. If it amplifies the emotion in the scene, then all that other stuff doesn't matter. And sometimes being lo-fi may actually help amplify the emotion. So they're not paying $8,000 to find something that is a great song. It's not a song contest looking for the best songwriter or the best song that was written by the best songwriter. They're looking for a song that makes the scene tell the story better. Um, Anne House says, doesn't have to be a perfect song, has to be the right song. Yep. Music will either distract or enhance the feeling the director is trying to convey. Yes. Are they looking for songs to place as is, or do they sometimes re-record the song if they like it? I would say 90% of the time or more frequently. In the, and now I'm just talking film, feature film. They, feature films oftentimes have more timelines. Sometimes you have a 24-hour timeline. Um, let me explain. Sometimes if they know months in advance the kind of music they're going to need, for what's called a, a pre-record where you have two people in a bar in like a, a shit kicker bar and there's a band playing in the background and they actually want the band playing in that bar and people dancing to that band. That's a pre-record. So they could pick the band months before and, and have the, the luxury of time. Um, oftentimes what happens is a director absolutely loves something that he himself or she herself picked and tempted in and they're gonna and you mr music supervisor go get me that song even though it's a quarter of a million bucks we've only got forty thousand in the budget go get it for forty thousand bucks the music supervisor of course wants to kill him or herself um or maybe the director uh but really good music supervisors what they do is when they see a director latch on to something that they know is not going to be in the budget they will go hit up taxi and get um other songs that could work instead of that song. And they'll keep them on their phone uh, and they'll wait for that moment when they're actually on the mix stage and they know that tomorrow that scene is coming up that's got that $250,000 song that that director is insisting that they get for 40 grand and they're all gonna walk on that mix stage in the morning and the director's gonna say to the music supervisor, did you get it? And he's gonna say no that they would only come down to $180,000. That's their bottom line. Well, great, what are you gonna do about it now? And that's when the genius music supervisor pulls out his friend, the phone, and has a file of other songs that could work in place. So in that case, there's no timeline. They, 
you know, that music supervisor would have had to run that listing with Taxi days before, weeks before, and then have that stuff stashed. They can't, like that morning, when they're paying $10,000 a day to rent that mix stage, they can't, um, at that point, go looking and hold up the production or post-production of the film. So because of that, they very rarely have the luxury of, oh, I love this song, but I would love to hear a piano version of it. Oh, I love the song, I'd love to hear a different mix. Oh, I love the song, I'd love to hear it with a female vocal on it instead of a male vocal. Uh, there are times they can do that, most of the time they can't. Okay, two more. As I go away, let's have a listen. With my back turned It's interesting. As I go away, the ink will stain on this blank page. As I go away, you say that there's more to. Should go away. 
think the overwhelming majority of people in the chat room are going, wow, this is cool. This one may have knocked number two and number three out of contention, or it's right up there. I agree. Um, this song was special. Um, it, it, it almost feels like a Stephen Sondheim song a little bit. If Stephen Sondheim had gotten this brief, he might have sent this in. Uh, really brilliant writing, really brilliant production on this. I, I was just falling in love with it. Um, I want to go back. Uh, I'm going to play, even though we're at the end of the show, I'm going to go back and play number two and number three again for you. We'll give you like a minute of each of them. One thing that nobody really talked about in the chat room today that I want you to consider as we become, we all go to earn our... Um, music supervisor merit badges on this episode. Mm -hmm. um, we need a dark, teary-eyed, emotionally strong ballad, blah, 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 needs to be stripped down, somewhat haunting, with a somewhat haunting vocal. Um, I'm looking. Create a song, lyric that underscores the emotions of a single mom who's dealing with substance abuse is contemplating suicide. Um, So, um, um, you know, it, it honestly depends on what kind of substance abuse <laughs> to some extent. But, you know, if we're talking needles in the arm, if we're talking um, smoking crack, if we're talking um, just doing a ton of crank, it's dirty, it's greasy, it's edgy. The person is probably unkempt, probably unbathed, just losing it, falling apart. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that if I were music supervising and didn't have any clear direction from the director that I would be looking at, at the character in the film going, I, let's talk about her. Let's find a song that not just talks about the fact that she's, you know, on the edge of suicide, but is there something that makes us appreciate the fact that she hasn't bathed in four days and probably smells kind of funky um you know she's not taking good care of her kids uh, just there there's all there are a lot of markers around this character that the song could convey so again that last song i think was pretty freaking brilliant i'm not sure that it was greasy and funky and gritty and edgy enough then again sometimes juxtaposition juxtaposition works where uh, there are so many scenes in movies I can never think of them when I need them but you know something where um, oh what was the, the scene in the movie Almost Famous where uh, Kate Hudson had just overdosed on quaaludes and the doctor gets called to her hotel room and her erstwhile boyfriend who's in love with her is watching her get her stomach pumped while she's throwing up in, in the bathtub um, and they play a song in that scene. Does anybody remember the song? That was a, if I remember, that was a great example of juxtaposition. I don't know if Tiny Dancer was in that, but I don't know if that's what was playing. I don't think that was the scene. That made that song. Um, yeah, try Googling Quaalude scene. Um, Jim Stamper hated that scene. Why, Jim, why? 
Oh yeah, my Sharia more. Okay, so you have this woman that the love of his life, the apple of his eye is 12 feet away with a doctor shoving a piece of rubber hose down her throat and she's like puking in the bathtub in the middle of an overdose on quaaludes and Stevie Wonder singing my Sharia more. That is juxtaposition, you know? Now it could have been a song about drugs and abuse and being mentally screwed up, but no, they went for the laugh and it worked. So that's what I'm saying. Okay, um, Sherry, wouldn't a female vocalist capture this one better? Uh, possibly. I, the thought crossed my mind earlier, and then I thought, well, you know, they did say female, male, female, or even a duet. Um, I don't possibly. It depends on the female vocal, you know? Uh, okay, so let's listen to number two, which was called Let Me Go. We're going to listen to like a minute of that. listen to a little bit of the song Blame which was the number three song Of. that's just that's just incredibly good um, I gotta say that would be my pick 
There were several others that could work that I would want to see against picture, but I can't imagine. The only negative thing you could say about that is it's kind of what's expected. And oftentimes um, creatives in the industry want to go with what's not expected because, uh, you know, it, it makes your your scene more memorable. It, it, look, I still remember to this day, 20 years later, my Sharia Moore playing in, in the Quaalude overdose scene in that movie. So sometimes it's what you least expect that works the best, but man, oh man, that is a beautifully written song and a beautifully um, delivered vocal. The piano playing is incredibly good. Everything about it is, is just great. Um, so that's it. Uh, next week, I am not going to do a taxi TV because that would be Monday. And for me, the road rally starts on Wednesday because that's when we start. I go down to the hotel Wednesday night and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, also doing a little road trip to, well, not a road trip, an uh, airplane ride to Miami. Um, this coming weekend, uh, I got invited to go to a reunion of all my old working buddies at Criteria Studios, so I'm very, very excited about that. I was, at first, I thought, there's no way I can go. This is right before the rally, so I've just been working more nights and weekends this year and prep for the rally so that I can get on that plane Saturday, go to the party on Sunday, and fly home at 6 a.m. on Monday morning, and I will be back in the office by 10 or 11 on Monday. So... I've decided not to do a taxi TV next Monday because if there are any loose ends to wrap up for the rally, I really need that whole day. So I will see many of you in person next week at the rally. Um, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it's here. Uh, very excited. Uh, trust me, if you haven't signed up for the Taxi Road Rally yet or you're not a member, you get two free tickets if you're a member. Go to taxi.com. Up in the top navigation thing, uh, you'll see free convention. Um, either later tonight or first thing tomorrow morning, we are going to have, I don't have it with me, um, a book. Uh, it's like a book of everything at the road rally that's uh, like your little Boy Scout manual, like your driver's ed manual that you can carry around with you at the road rally. So we're going to be putting that up online in digital format either later this evening or early tomorrow, and you'll be able to see everything, the schedules um, for the ballroom panels, the schedules for all the, the breakout classes, the one-to-one -one mentoring, the eat and greet luncheons, um, just all of it. And again, if you haven't booked a seat at the eat and greet luncheons, we only had, I don't know, what did I say, 27 or 28 seats left or something. I mean, it, it was, yeah, very, very few. Uh, so that's it. See you guys. Oh, also for those of you who are going to the road rally, I'm going to do what I've done several other times after the road rally, which is the Monday after the road rally, the day after, I am going to do an episode with some taxi members that have been at the road rally, been to the road rally. So if you'd like to be considered to be one of those members and join me, I may have like four or five different members come in and kind of cycle through during the course uh, of that um, episode, please send an email to taxitv at taxi.com. That email address, one more time, is taxitv at taxi.com. Um, if you have any other questions about tonight's episode, please post them in the comments section below the video once it's up. And with that, I wish you guys a fond farewell. See you at the road rally. Adios. Bye-bye. Woohoo!